0: Hello and welcome to Local Wool, a podcast for conscientious makers. I'm Anastasia Williams, and this is episode three. from Michigan is Holly Schmideknecht, the owner of Woolhaven, where she specializes in handmade woven blankets for children and infants. Holly, thank you so much for being here today.
1: Hi, thank you.
0: Yeah, so I realized that I gave obviously a little bit away at the beginning, but can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure, of course.
1: Yeah, my name is Holly Schmideknecht. I'm a wife, a stay-at-home mother, a shepherdess, I am a self-taught weaver, aspiring spinner, and yes, the designer and founder of Woolhaven. So from my little country home here, I weave one-of-a-kind super soft heirloom merino wool blankets and other signature wool items.
0: That's wonderful. And I think to start, I'd love to learn a little bit more about just the farm itself. So can you give us some information about your flock and any other creatures you might have? Oh,
1: yes. <laughs> sure. So we actually started off. Oh well, well, I'll, I'll backtrack here. So we live here in West Michigan on a small farm just south of where Stephen and I actually were born and raised. So We started our small farm off really by laying hens, um, chickens, in the spring of 2015. And we got them as little chicks, you know, and raised them up. And I, of course, took an immediate liking to this whole small, small farm thing. So those chickens were like my babies, you know, and so it was (laughs) just a really easy and fun way to get started. Since then, we've raised a few dozen or so chickens, and now we sort of downsized to 11 various specialty laying hens from dark brown egg layers like morans and arachanas, which lay the beautiful blue eggs and we also have our handsome and friendly white silky rooster and we call him Izzy. So at first I was selling the eggs but now I primarily use them for our own use and I I give them to our family and friends. So and then indoors here we have our sweetie of an indoor cat Solomon who we call Solly and we rescued him from an animal shelter shortly after Stephen and I married and Now, uh, almost two years ago, we welcomed our two female black Merino sheep and females in Shepherd language are called ewes. So their names are Maggie and Molly and they are registered with the NCWGA, which is called, um, which stands for the Natural Colored Wool Growers Association. I guess you you could consider us a homestead flock because we are small property owners. We have about 5 acres of land here and we are sort of kind of taking the grow your own flock approach to raising sheep. Wow, that's really that's really great that you've kind of
0: had that kind of small start to it, but you've grown and just as a kind of a side question, so what made you start with fiber like have you always been you know interested in yarn or is that something that's relatively
1: new yeah i I didn't know how to knit, but i I started knitting a few years ago just basic you know basic basic stuff and that's um when I really got my my hands on it but really what really drew me to fiber was really with cloth diapering, I would say because I had been researching and researching, you know, covers and all that. And that's how I kind of stumbled upon Merino.
0: Oh, that is, that's really interesting. And I know we're going to talk more about that later. And I'm like really excited to chat about that, but just kind of going back to just the basics of Merino. So what specifically drew you to that breed over any others?
1: Oh, sure. That's a great question. I I love it so much because, you know, i I really find every breed of sheep fascinating. Truly, each one has its has its own unique offerings and characteristics. But for the most part, all of them have this, I guess you could say, instinctual social structure uh, to want to be together as a group. So I guess you could say they're rather gregarious, or you know, have these heightened senses of sight and hearing and smell but i guess what drew me specifically to the merino breed was in the fall of 2016 when my husband and i were pregnant with our daughter i started researching merino wool in specific and eventually was convinced enough to not only invest in cloth diapering but cloth diapering with merino wool diaper covers and so our little Elsie was born in January, 2017. And that's when we absolutely fell in love with Moreno. I mean, after oh. we put her little cloth diaper on her, you know, and then her little wool cover, I just knew deep down that merino wool was going to play such a beautiful part in our lives. And I, I, I never knew how transforming something could, could have in your life, you know, and that's kind of where Moreno has taken its place. But, but fast forward a few months after Elsie was born, we, we were actually out at Stephen's grandparents for an Easter family lunch and just decided to follow Stephen's mom to their neighbors. They had new alpacas that we wanted to check out, you know, and their house used to be Stephen's great grandmother's house. So, We just happened to get to talk with the woman there who lives there now, and somehow we got on the subject of sheep, Moreno sheep, and you can bet that my ears perked up a little bit. (laughs) And lo and behold, she knew of a couple just down the road a bit who was selling their two Moreno sheep. Talk about a small world, but I don't know, I I don't think it was a coincidence. (laughs) It it just sounded too good to be true kind of thing. So we've always dreamed of having a farm. And when I had, had heard that the sheep were for sale, Steve gathered the couple's contact information and we called them up right away. The woman answered and she invited us over to take a look. And I was so excited. We took, a, I think it was about a five minute drive. So not very far to this little farm. And, and I just remember when we were driving down The dirt road, as we approached the driveway, I could see the sheep in the distance, you know, and they just looked all full and fluffy and think it was just into springtime. So that means that they were all full with their fiber from the past year and they just look so mysterious and magnificent. And of course we got out of the car and the lady who owns them came up and she said, okay, well, do you want to spend some time with them, you know? And I said, of course, you know, can I go in there with them? And she's saying that she wanted to sell the ewes because they they wanted to expand their their other animals. She's hoping to sell Maggie and Molly for only $150 total. And oh, wow. I just had a chuckle in my in, in my mind because a good stock of a, a Moreno ewe, is like $400 plus, you know, and so when she said that she, she wanted to sell it for $150 total, (laughs) I I was just floored. I I looked at Steve and he looked at me and I, I like to think that we both winked at one another because (laughs) (laughs) it was just like they they were being gifted to us, you know, so my heart just leapt out of my chest and they really just landed in your lab. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes.
0: I know. I'm so glad they did. Yeah, that is that is really amazing. So, is the benefit of the wool using them as like a cloth diaper cover is that because they're so soft to the
1: skin? Yes. Um that's that's one of the main reasons why I chose merino because it is super soft. But there are so many other reasons why, you know, I, I did so much research before Elsie was born. I discovered numerous, you know, wonderful benefits like the softness and it's breathable and odor resistant and antibacterial. It it actually is temperature regulating and strong and resilient and incredibly sustainable, I guess is, is the correct Term, yeah, definitely. It 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 dries quick. It's a natural sun protectant. It's static resistant. Just, you know, my dad, my dad always taught me that you know if it sounds too good to be true, then it's too good to be true. Well, when I first discovered merino and all of these wonderful benefits, I I had to kind of you know pinch myself because was it too good? You know, is it too good to be true? Is is it really all that it claims to be? And we've been caught typing with Moreno wool, you know, now for over two years. And I have to say, it's one of the only things that, that I've discovered so far in my life that, you know, it's, it's not too good to be true. It's, it's wonderful.
0: I'm really interested to continue to learn more. Um, now with the breed, now, do you guys find That there are any challenges specifically that you run into, such as do you find it takes extra care to keep a breed that's considered more of a wrinkly sheep because it has more of those folds in the body? You know,
1: we are just so thankful because we really haven't had any big troubles with our merino ewes, but I. I guess one challenge with the merino breed in general would be when it comes to the, the time, you know, for shearing, because they have, well, most merinos tend to have at least a few folds in their skin. I think they're classed into type A, B, and C, and I think technically that class A was the most wrinkly, and they I think they've actually called them extinct now, but... Mm-hmm. most of the american breed are are type c you know with the the folds in their skin but this I, I can i can see how this could be a little bit of a challenge for new shepherds because it would just take longer to shear them because you have to be careful around their folds you know you not to nick them when you're you're shaving their fiber off you know so paying special attention and you know practicing and patience and a whole lot of stamina would help a, a shear when shearing specifically the merino breed. I think for all shepherds, internal and external parasites are actually the most common biological bad guys, if you want to say.
0: Mm.
1: And as far as a, a big challenge, because and we're fortunate here in North America because most of the Worst parasites aren't found here, but and we have such a small flack that it's not a big big concern for us at the moment. But one of the biggest challenges for shepherding in general would be maintaining a healthy flack. So how we manage our girls is we use a system called Famacha, and it's F-A-M-A-C-H-A, which is a rather new system for evaluating worm and infestations. And you do this by comparing the color of the sheep's lower eyelid to a scoring chart. And usually it's it's just evaluating. Does the sheep have anemia, you know, because the parasites would um, main risk with that would be that the sheep would become anemic. So we just, you know, periodically check the girls under eye, you know, their eyelids. And I guess that would be the biggest challenge that I see so far you know it's it's funny i i do remember when we first brought our girls home when steve unloaded them into the pasture area that i i never knew how how hard it would be to herd sheep <laughs> you know <laughs> you always see these her you know videos of these dogs doing these amazing tricks you know getting the sheep into their pens and all that and so after Maggie and Molly grazed for a few hours in the pasture, we being new, new shepherds and all we, we thought we would get Maggie and Molly all settled in their stable area. And long story short, it took us a good hour, like <laughs> a good hour of trying to get them in for the night and how oh, it was probably so hilarious if we would have videotaped it, you know, <laughs> us running around the pasture, trying to corral them, but oh, it was so frustrating. and exhausting you know I remember she was so out of breath and. Oh. But... <laughs> I think that's a very common
0: story it seems like anytime oh. people get their first sheep oh. there's always a story of chasing them to get them where I... you need them to be
1: <laughs> oh. yeah I don't know if that's a challenge but boy we learned a lot there with <laughs> <laughs> so that oh. be know our voice, so they'll come to us because they're familiar with us, but it really proves that sheep really do need a a good shepherd. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, the issues that you mentioned were actually the the two that I had heard about most specifically, those being with um shearing and making sure that either you're able to keep the skin taut while you're shearing or you get you know a shearer who has experience with those kinds of wolves. Um, or else, yeah, the, the parasites actually. So those were the exact two issues that I had heard of. So that, that answers that question for me specifically. Um, so when we kind of look at your journey so far, so we've started with chickens, we've progressed into having sheep, and then that has kind of, shifted even more or it's grown a little bit more so that you have started weaving blankets. So how did you make that transition? Oh, sure. Well,
1: when I saw the amazing benefits of merino wool being, you know, every day using them with Elsie and her diaper covers, and uh, I was just in this, I don't know what what you would even call it, just this wonderful cloud of... You know, one, wanting to do something more with Moreno and I i just remember looking at Steve and saying, you know, do you think that I could buy a loom or, you know, do you think that I could learn how to weave and it was, it just seemed so random at the time, but I just had this, this longing to find a hobby that I would be good at and that I saw fit into my lifestyle. And so that's when I really just started kind of honing in on what I could see myself doing, you know, for the rest of my life. And somehow or another, I kind of ran with the whole Marina wool thing because I was so in love with it and what it had already, you know, helped me with with our family. And so I bought, I bought my first loom. It's It was actually, a, it's called a, a rigid huddle loom. And it's that an Ashford brand. It's 32 inches and they make them in New Zealand. So Stephen actually told me that he'd like to get that for me for Christmas one year. So that's kind of how I, I started weaving. I, I remember we warped it up the first time and I warped it up completely backwards. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> talk about an emotional roller coaster you know trying to learn something new and you do it wrong so wrong the first time and it it took me a long time to finally be confident with you know just the warping of it so and i think the second time i warped it up too short and <laughs> then the third time too long and so i was just so thankful that steve's gifted with mathematics. So he, he's <laughs> helped me along the way with, you know, calculating how much warp I need and, and that sort of thing. But what specifically is
0: warping?
1: Oh yeah, sure. So warping is just, a I guess, a fancy term for setting up the loom. So that means that you have to use the yarn and, you know, thread it through each each of the 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 reed spaces and and get your tension correct and and kind of make sure everything's orderly on the loom before you actually weave so it's kind of basically just putting the yarn onto the loom to get ready to weave
0: oh so it kind of sounds almost like what a sewing machine is in sewing yeah yeah. Okay. Okay. That makes sense to me. And so what is your process then from start to finish when you make a blanket? Like how long does it take you? That kind of thing. Because I had started
1: on the, the rigid heddle, which is kind of the uh, beginner's loom, those kind of weavings are, you know, just kind of take a l- little bit longer time just because you're doing everything by hand, you know. So it wasn't until last fall actually that I upgraded to a floor loom, which has saved me so much time. But back to the rigid huddle, I it usually would take me about oh uh, I would estimate around seven hours give or take. That wow. includes from warping up the loom to preparing the yarn and tensioning it all and getting ready to weave and actually weaving the blanket to taking it off the loom. And then you, I, I finish it, I hand finish every blanket with um, kind of a hand weaving and felting process that my mother-in-law and I have kind of come up together with. And so after that's done, I, I usually wash it once for the first time, so that the fibers can become closely uh, introduced to one another, so to speak. And once it wash, once I wash it, then I'll air dry it. And once it's fully air dried, then I, I'll go ahead and hand stitch one of our custom woven Woolhaven labels on it, and and then usually that completes the look. So.
0: That's really interesting, um, and I like that part of your whole thing is that everything is one of a kind. But it sounds like it really is unique because you guys have, like, you and your—did you say it was your mother?
1: Or your yeah, uh, mother. Yeah, my mother-in-law. I I call her mother-in-law or oh Mar- Mar- Marmy. Actually, we call her Marmy <laughs>
0: from Little Women. <laughs> Oh, sweet. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, so the, the fact that you guys together have come up with a finishing technique that's unique to you, I think that's really fascinating. So one thing that I find really unique specifically is that your blankets really are designed for infants and children. And that I think is unique and almost radical in a way because it seems like this day and age, superwash and acrylics have kind of, Taken over as being ideal for kids just for the ability to be able to toss them in a machine washer and dryer. So, why do you advocate for pure
1: wool blankets for little ones? I do think that this is a common thread nowadays, and I guess has been something that I've had to come back to time and time again with Woolhaven because as I evaluate. What people are, are really hoping for in a blanket, I want to provide them with what they want. But at the same time, I have to balance out what Woolhaven really stands for. And what one of the things that I'm really passionate about with what I make is that it's kind of at the most natural state, I guess, is what you could say. Because they mm. are being used by by children and I know with with our one of our daughters, she has just such sensitive skin, and so to really be able to offer something that's so precious and can be used with utmost confidence by you know caregivers or parents or grandparents or you you know you name it, family members, friends, is really kind of at the core of what I envision Woolhaven offering. And so I remember I, I conducted a poll, I think about a year ago and I, I basically asked, I said, do you prefer washing things by hand or do you prefer washing things, you know, in the washing machine? And I, I should have known this, but I was shocked that over, I think it was over 95% of the voters answered something that is machine washable and Mm -hmm. (laughs) oh I I sort of had this sense that like I knew what the end result was but I was just so shocked at how high that percentage was talk about market research we'll just nail (laughs) you but (laughs) I um I guess the fascinating thing I I want to point out though is that Moreno wool really solves this entire issue of washing in general. Uh, Moreno is just so fabulous that it it doesn't need to be washed very often. So it kind of combats the whole washing ma- washing machine thing because you don't have to wash it as often. So unlike other fibers and materials, you know, so I think one of the hurdles for me with, with getting to this point of really understanding Moreno was I thought that because, you know, if you didn't wash something every day or, or every time you think it got dirty or that it just sounded like, like it wasn't sanitary to use with, you know, especially children. And so when I read about merino wool being antibacterial and, and odor resistant, I, I was kind of skeptical, but when I learned that this was in fact true, that merino wool could really go longer between washings, I was just amazed. I mean, unless it gets really soiled, our handwovens can go, I mean, months without needing to be washed. And when it does need a good washing, it's so, so easy to wash. I mean, so easy. You basically can just, you know, put it in some lukewarm water with some gentle wool wash and, and let the wool wash do its magics. You don't have to, you know, agitate it or or scrub or, or any of that, you know, so it, it really is truly easy to, to care for. And because it's quick drying, it won't take long to, to be ready to use again. I I think that's kind of like the, the bulk of, of why I choose to use Merino that It's just so natural and it it doesn't have to necessarily be machine washed, you know, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, it does. You know, weirdly enough, knowing that it's antibacterial, which I did know, and, you know, all those properties, I never even really considered that as a result of that, you would need to wash it less. And that really does solve a lot of problems of you know, you really just have to put less effort in overall. Yes, it does need to be hand washed, but I it, it mean, like you said, it, you don't really have to do the scrubbing. And you know, even there are ways to remove stains from wool, which I just did a a guide on my on my site as well regarding that. Because for the longest time, I had a sweater with chocolate on it, and I've, I was a wool sweater, and a merino wool sweater. I was thinking. You know, maybe I'll just make that part of the design. Um, (laughs) But there is, the American Wool Association actually has a set of guidelines, which then I adapted to make them more natural. But it is possible to get those stains out if they do get in there, if that's something that parents are worried about. But I think that is a really good point and something I never thought about. So that would be an interesting question to take back and say, do you prefer things to be machine washed or... Would you prefer something you only had to hand wash infrequently?
1: Exactly. Yeah, sure. That would
0: be, that would be fascinating. Um, (laughs) But when we're talking, so obviously blankets, we've talked about, what other kinds of items do you think that children might benefit from that are made from pure wool? Everything.
1: (laughs) 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 Truly. Oh, wow. So. Can you get a sense of how much I love this fiber? <laughs> oh. uh, <laughs> that's funny because to
0: everyone who's listening, we were literally just talking about how both of our husbands want to know why we want everything wool and why everything has to be wool. So this is an exceptionally funny question. <laughs>
1: oh, Well, apart from using Merino wool diaper covers with our girls, I, I really enjoy dressing my daughters in merino wool clothing. Steve's mom, she loves to sew and so she actually made the girls quite a few pieces of of merino wool items for their little wardrobes and oh, like oh. These little cute neutral colored vests. Wow, I I want some for myself. <laughs> Oh, that's so cute! <laughs> and dresses and pants and socks. I mean, the world is your oyster. So I bought Elsie this wool button-up coat for this year for winter time, and she has this tie-up hat and a pair of mittens that are wool. And I actually just recently bought her a pair of these lambskin wool-lined slippers. Wow talk about I mean truly wanting things that children have that you want them in you know adult size women (laughs) women size but I guess I I I just love love all things Marina well really it I've started this tradition with my girls you know of weaving a a hand woven for each of them so that they we that way they can uh, pass it down you know if they are blessed with babies someday so Yeah, that's really sweet. I
0: I really like the sentiment behind that. And it is light enough too. I'm assuming you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong. So it's also something that really could be worn in warmer weather too, right? Oh, yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah. That's a really great property. I think, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about wool being heavy and, and too warm, but I think because it does have that breathability, it is, really sure. nice for everything. Um, sure. And we, we talked about obviously like there being a misconception of wool being hard to care for, but what tips would you specifically recommend for caring for pure wool items for children,
1: or I guess in general too? Sure. I I guess I couldn't agree more with you. So wool in general is so simple to care for, but I think I think you're right about this almost misconception that, that it's hard to care for and that can be really intimidating. I remember when I was just starting out with with merino Wool with Elsie and I was so nervous, you know, like what if I mess up washing it or, you know, all these steps that I had to follow to care for the wool and it was just all, it was kind of overwhelming in a sense because I didn't know anything about wool. So I was basically starting from scratch and what I've come to find is it's actually easier to care for than than your everyday laundry. I, I, I know that probably sounds so out there but it's all really due to wool's many wonderful benefits. So and i I find hand washing to be quite therapeutic. I don't know about you i it's just this this wonderful way to kind of slow your mind and and just kind of you know you put your hands in the water and and it's it just kind of slows my day and so when i whenever I have to wash our girls' wool items i i usually well, I, 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 of course, advocate for hand washing because I, I absolutely love it, but um, I'll, I'll usually just put the garments in a basin or a little bowl, just something that won't potentially snag the little woolies. And so I'll take some gentle wool wash that we have, and I usually like to to wash it under 86 degrees fahrenheit which i think is 30 degrees celsius right so i'll i'll usually just kind of submerge the the woolies in gently and kind of get all the, the water through the fibers and and kind of let it be I, I don't touch it. I don't like to touch it too much because I don't want to felt it, you know, so, Mm -hmm. um, this was the intimidating part because I thought, you know, like to get things clean, you really have to scrub, you know, (laughs) and like rinse and and all that. But, but I've learned that you, you basically can just let it soak and, and kind of, kind of let it be for a little bit and I'll come back and just kind of lightly, lightly kind of, move my hands through the water, you know, just making sure that the the suds are are really getting in to clean. And I'll drain the basin or, you know, empty the bowl of water and really just lightly press on them. And I'll I'll take them out and roll them in a towel, kind of gently, not like, not wringing, but just blotting. Yeah, blotting. There you go. Mm -hmm. And, and really... That's all you have to do. You, I'll put it on the clothesline, or you know you can put it outside in the in the wind, and it'll dry so quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my favorite way to dry
0: yarn as well—just <laughs> hanging it outside.
1: Oh, it's so beautiful. <laughs> Swaying in the wind. It is. Yes. Yeah. And then you don't have to use any like
0: extra energy
1: to oh, take sure. care. Oh, sure. Oh, I know. I remember. I remember when I was a teenager, yeah, I I think it was a teenager and I put something in the dryer and it didn't, and it shouldn't have been in the dryer. I think it must have been something wool, but I didn't know it was at the time. And (laughs) I just remember crying so hard because it it shrunk so much because it went in
0: the dryer. It's one of those things too that it's as I've, you know, obviously I've gotten married and you know the laundry chores shift from time to time on whose responsibility that is but it's a way to educate others too about how to care for them properly like you know my wool socks don't go in the wash they just go back in the bin you know I don't none of my sweaters do those are all my responsibility but um but yeah I think it's I think it's great that you're advocating for all of this um I think it's really important for people to understand that it is so much simpler than really the I don't know the whole wide world has made it in the past. Um, so, kind of wrapping up a little bit. So, what
1: is next for Woolhaven going forward? So, I think I I mentioned a little bit earlier that and. And I think I started to say it, but I, I must've got sidetracked, but I, so last fall, I, I actually upgraded to a floor loom and because the, the handwovens were taking, you know, seven plus hours each to make on my little Ashford rigid heddle that I had first started on, I, I upgraded to this beautiful, beautiful, it's called, um, a 60 inch. LeClaire, which is uh, based in Canada. And so I have a 60-inch LeClaire Nihilus floor loom that is now stationed in my studio space in our basement. And I am so excited to start weaving the handwovens on the floor loom instead. So it's this fully restored four-shaft six treadle. Uh, It has a a one-inch sectional beam on the back, so it makes warping a dream, and I'm just smitten with this thing because um, I'm just excited to not only make the handwovens that I have been making, but it's 60 inches long. So I could potentially make larger pieces if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. So it's something that I've been been kind of in the works behind the scenes. I haven't really decided on anything in particular, but but I, I do foresee myself um, making larger hand wovens in the future. So that's one thing and we Steve and I have been on the lookout for the past few months for more land and we would love to eventually expand our flock you know we we just have our two black merinos right now but i would just love to have a nice flock of merinos someday and if it works out that'd be wonderful but so we're always looking out for for land potentially to to buy to Maybe build a home and settle and expand our flock. So that yeah, um, sounds
0: really exciting, then, because you're really kind of expanding everything. It sounds like not only like your flock and your space, but your creations It really
1: sounds like you've kind of given yourself more room to breathe with it all. Thanks. I I guess one thing that I really love about about Woolhaven is that it's more than just my offerings. I guess it's I want it to be kind of an ex an an entire experience, I guess is, is what I would like. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it does. Yeah. But I I think nowadays there's this, and I love this. There's this increased awareness of, you know, consumers asking questions like, how was this animal raised, or where is it from, or how was the item made, and and this is so incredible to me because. I see their longing to be more ed- educated and assured that their, you know, purchasing choices are reflecting their personal values, I mm-hmm. guess. And so I'm excited for Woolhaven because I want to be a part of that and and I I look forward to hopefully having some more land and expanding the flock, but but there's this excitement with kind of taking a special role in in such an intentional movement I guess do you do you see that going on yeah
0: I I absolutely do and that is part of like a lot of the motivation behind the choices that I make in my personal business with my yarns and the way that you know my processes go doing zero waste that kind of thing and really giving people more of an insight to you know, the life of the sheep and that kind of thing. Even though I don't have my own, I'm always trying to find those sources so that you can, you know, have that assurance of where it came from. And you're totally right. So that your consuming practices can really reflect your personal values. And I feel like I personally am that way as well. I imagine you are too.
1: Sure. I'm, I'm definitely improved in this area and I want to be more mindful in in my future purchases. So yeah, definitely. I keep I keep telling Steve that my vision, one of my visions for Woolhaven is to kind of see it from see it through from beginning to end, so to speak. So eventually being self-sustaining. So you know, from shepherding our own sheep to farming our own land to taking that fiber and and making it into the items that I, that I want to make. And so there's so much to learn and, and (laughs) I'm, you know, still in the beginning phases here. So it seems quite vast, but, um, I'm just in love with this particular niche of, you know, the, the fiber world and, um, I guess another thing that I'm really looking forward to is I'm, I'm currently looking for a spinning wheel that will kind of cater to our fiber in particular with Moreno. So I would absolutely love it if I could take our own sheep's fiber and turn that into yarn and uh, eventually weave with it. So that's kind of my, my hopes and dreams for the near future with Woolhaven. So
0: I love it. I love that (laughs) so much. (laughs) So how, let's like, since we're on the subject of consuming, (laughs) if people want to find you like online,
1: where can they do that? Sure. Sure. I just launched our new website last December and you can find me at woolhaven.com. And I also do do a lot of my announcements and news and kind of behind the scenes and our life here, family life here on the farm on my Instagram, <laughs> Instagram handle, uh, which is wool underscore haven.
0: Perfect. And I'll link to both of those in the show notes as well. Well, Holly, thank you so much for spending all this time with me and just sharing all this great knowledge with us.
1: It's been my pleasure. You can find links to
0: everything that we talked about today, including information on the looms that Holly uses, as well as my stain removal guide for wool at www.woolanddye.com podcast. Until next time.